Welcome to the Central Peninsula Church Podcast, a podcast all about real life together. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the CPC Together Podcast, where we do everything together. (laughs) CPC. Everything. Everything. It stands for Collaborative People Coming Together. (laughs) CPC Together. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so <laughs> what you're dealing with right now, in case you're listening like, man, these guys sound awful, messed up and tired. We are. <laughs> you see, there's, there's two really busy seasons in the ministry world, and it's Christmas and Easter. It is. And, uh, and we, it is Easter Monday. And for whatever reason, we always get super excited to do more things around Christmas <laughs> and Easter, like Kevin and I have wanted to do this. Stations of the Cross thing for like three or four years, and finally this year we're like, Let's this do it is, our first Easter. Yeah, yeah, this is the year to do it. And so <laughs> there was just so much, so much that we had to do. Yeah, and so we looked and we really had a great tired. team. We had a lot of people contribute to that. that yeah, we should give props for. They did a ton of work. On you want to name them, Sandy? Yeah, Sandy, March Krause, Mona Jew, Sandy Hughes. We yeah. had the kids team recorded oh, yeah. all the audio recorded for that. Everything. Daniel, Sam, Shelley, Erica. A whole bunch of people doing. You did a bunch on that. Yeah, yeah. Come to think of it, you probably didn't really do hardly anything. <laughs> I just talked, which <laughs> I do too much of anyway. <laughs> anyway, so we're feeling. A oh, little... not to mention, by the way, all the people who sat in the lobby. We had a ton of people on staff that manned oh, it, yeah, kind of yeah, help yeah, people yeah, troubleshoot. Yeah. We had a ton of people do that, and they took long shifts, like they three did. or four hour like shifts, four hour shifts, so till yeah. like nine at night. Yeah, yeah. So if you see a staff member, thank them. They did a lot of work. They're all feeling the way. We are feeling, but they're not trying to record a podcast right now. <laughs> they had the wisdom to not <laughs> record something the day after. Anyway, but uh, man, it was an amazing Sunday yesterday. If you didn't see it, go check it out online. Although I worry that it, it won't quite translate online. There was just, um, we had 14, 13, 14 people getting yeah. baptized yesterday. One one person was... Um, a little spontaneous, it was fun, kind of spontaneous. Yeah, yeah we we yeah. they told us that I think that morning or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was just an incredible, incredible service, and uh, all about resurrection. Yeah, which is appropriate because you know it's Easter, because it's Easter. Um, so, in light of that, Kevin, uh, I, I'm sure you've read this article coming out of Yale <laughs> about the pigs. Have you? <laughs> I have I am uh I am not up to date on my swine knowledge coming out of Yale. Well there is <laughs> there, Enlighten me. There's please. a a study where they have restored brain activity to a swine. Actually I think multiple swines. Is swine plural? It's not swines. I don't know. We really shouldn't record right now. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so they were so they were they they reactivated their brains after they yeah, were, were dead. S- there were cells that were like firing and circulation that was like blood moving through the brain in parts that they thought could not ever be resuscitated. Yeah. They did say in a quote and I'll look at it here. They said in a quote, "At no point did we observe the kind of organized electrical activity associated with perception, awareness, or consciousness, so they're still pretty so they far. Didn't, they didn't come back to consciousness. No. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. They didn't. They didn't oink or squeal or anything like that. But you know, <laughs> but we, electrical 
signals we're firing. 2,000 years later, we're trying. We're and, trying. And we still can't do it. We're trying. We're trying. So the big question is, do you think we'll ever get there? No. I don't think so. I, yeah. I don't think so because Easter's about resurrection, not about resuscitation. Those are two different things. Oh, okay. Those are two okay, different okay. things. So resuscitation, right? Someone loses consciousness, um, and they come back to that. They resuscitate them. Um, but resurrection is about something entirely new. It's, it's Jesus was not resuscitated. He was resurrected. Um, you know, we were talking right before the difference between like a Lazarus, right? Like Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But we kind of forget that that meant Lazarus had to die again. Like it wasn't like... Yeah, we don't think about that. <laughs> he had to go through that twice, right? Like death still had 100% success rate, um, you know? And so Lazarus is, res- is resuscitated. He's brought back to life. Um, but something different happens with Jesus. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. He was brought back from the dead in a new form and a new creation and a new mode of being, if you will. Um, and now that I think about that, all healing that that Jesus did or that happens now, all of that is temporary, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, at some level, yeah. Yeah, if someone like gets healed, yeah. they're still going to die. Yeah, we still experience death. Like That's still part of... The human life cycle is, in fact, death. Resurrection isn't an escape from death. It's maybe an escape from like eternal death, right? In the way that the Bible would talk about it. But resurrection, you know, you still you have to be resurrected from something, and that's from death. And so that's still very much a human process. Hmm. And so the narrative arc that we see with Jesus, right, of his life, death, burial, resurrection, is the life arc that we, in fact, will experience as well. Life death, burial, resurrection. So you kind of talked about ancient Judaism has this this belief of, like there's the present age now that you said is characterized by evil. Um, mm-hmm. There's spiritual evil. There's personal evil. There's systemic evil. I forget. I'm making up yeah. different evils. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember the present age was filled with a lot of, yeah. a lot of evil and then they they would look to this age to come, yeah. Where there wasn't any more evil, is that like yeah. was that their version of heaven? Yeah. So it, you know they they would divide history between those two ages, between the present age and the age to come. Um, and as you said, the present age is marked by all that brokenness. You know, the three evils I mentioned were human, natural, and spiritual evil. Um, that those are the three kind of evils that. We see in violence and oppression, in natural disasters and catastrophes, in systemic issues in which that sort of spiritual evil gets into the different aspects of our, you know, our shared life, if you will, and begins to distort those things. Um, And then the age to come, which is where their hope was, where they were constantly looking for, uh, wasn't so much the reversal of those things. It was it was the doing way of those. So like. In that age to come, there was no more human, natural, or spiritual evil, um, but it was in this sort of new creation, this this heaven and earth remade, renewed, uh, where there there is no more death and violence and oppression and natural catastrophes, um, pandemics, and like all that, all that stuff is dealt with and done away with uh, because God has healed creation, the creation itself that's fractured, that is the source of those things, is then healed. And restored and renewed. So before ancient Jews knew anything about Jesus per se, they yeah. thought 
this new age was going to come. Like this yeah. was something yeah. that that they would look to and say, God, yeah. Yahweh, this is something you're going to do. Yeah. How did they think it was going to get done? Like mm. what was what was their perception? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so they I mean they obviously had a had a hope of a messiah that someone would come. They didn't know um necessarily that it was I mean I don't know if they you know, they didn't say no. It was it was Jesus in in Jesus form, but they they had this idea of the Christ, um, you know, which isn't Jesus' last name. That's a title, the Christ, the Messiah, who would in fact come and initiate this age to come. But I think for if I'm remembering right, I could be a little rusty on this. The belief was that it would happen at the the resurrection of all things. And so, what was shocking about Jesus' resurrection is it wasn't that everyone was resurrected. That's to come later. But it was that that it began before the resurrection of all things. So it altered their kind of timeline where they thought it was everyone would be resurrected. That age to come would then be ushered in. It happened in the midst of history, right in the middle of it, where Jesus is resurrected and begins that age to come at the resurrection, starts and gives birth to that new world on earth as it is in heaven, right? As, as Jesus taught us to pray, it happens there. And that then becomes that surprising hope of Easter is it's available now. It's not just the end of time. Hmm. And and so they had kind of thought that, you know, the hinge between these two ages was this idea of what we call the, the day of the Lord or judgment day, where it was then in that moment, in that judgment day where we where, where God sets the world to rights. He writes the wrongs, he he brings justice to the in, to the unjust. Um, you know, he stops the oppression, all that because again, judgment day becomes that moment in which you know, that evil and goodness is separated and dealt with. Um, and that ushers in, again, that, that age to come. But that happened, um, or it began, I should say, in the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus says that we don't have to wait fully um, until Judgment Day. Yeah. Like, there is something new that takes place fully, uh, like this new creation you're talking about after Judgment Day, but... He says you don't have to wait till then. Yeah, it, well, kind of. It, it's I actually heard this. Um, I think I was talking to uh, Stephen Petiti, one of our residents, and he gave this this metaphor for what we were talking about. I, th- I thought it was really good. He says, you know, that window of time after a president is elected, where they they win the votes, they're mm-hmm. they're they're the president elect, but they're not yet fully in power. They're kind of lying in wait. Yeah, they haven't right? been like, inaugurated yet. Yeah, exactly. It's like that kind of season and. It's a little different because, you know, Jesus, when he's resurrected, he is, in fact, you know, right before he, he departs, I'm thinking of like Matthew, last chapter of Matthew, um, before the ascension, he says, all power and authority has been given to me, right? And that's what Jesus says, therefore go, right? Like, and it's in that moment when all power and authority is given to Jesus, where he, he is, in fact, king and lord of the world. Whether we acknowledge it or not, he is, in fact, king and lord. And so in some sense, it's like when that... that the president after election day wins the votes. It's announced they're going to be the next president sometime in January when they have the inauguration. Um, it's that kind of holding pattern that we're in, where we're in the overlap between two presidencies, two kingdoms, right? Um, but again, obviously the metaphor breaks down a little because Jesus at the moment of, of resurrection is in fact in power. Whereas, you know, with the presidency idea, there, there is a moment where they're not in power yet, but they will be in waiting. Jesus is, it just hasn't been fully inaugurated. Um, where we get to in that age to come, that, that moment in which the age to come has started in the present and one day will be fully consummated in the future uh, when all of that evil is done away with. And we live then, again, as I, as I mentioned on Sunday, we live in that overlap, that tension 
between a world dying off and a new one being born. And that causes all sorts of issues. That's why we experience the pain and the hurt we experience. It's because there's two kingdoms at war. Um, but one is coming. Jesus' kingdom is, will be one day fully established. Um, and all that, that evil and brokenness will be done away with. So in that political scenario, is Jesus a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> Watch your answer. Watch your answer. <laughs> he is neither, my friend. <laughs> That's for sure. Is that our FedEx guy? Did you hear something? I didn't hear something. Brandon has just left the office, listener, and uh, he is anxiously awaiting the arrival of a love seat for his office. And it is not here. That day has not come. The order has been placed. It is The kingdom of the sofa has been inaugurated, but not fully established. So as you were sitting there, I'm, I'm remembering like being raised in Sunday school and... You know, um, all the different songs I've heard about heaven, I'll fly away. Yeah. And um, I remember singing this <laughs> I remember singing this song in, um, in high school. It was in choir. Were you ever in choir? It was not. No? Yeah, You're missing and, out, and, man. And it, it shows, by the way. <laughs> I was never in choir. Um, this song called God's Gonna Set This World on Fire. And it was like a pretty happy song. But it's like, God's going to set this world on fire. Oh, Lordy, God's going to set this world on fire one of these days. Hallelujah. And like, I just remember thinking, that's kind of weird that we're singing about that. <laughs> yeah. But like that, that really also sort of encapsulates what I grew up thinking. Like, yeah, yeah. When you were talking about like what God is going to do, like God, how God is going to restore this earth. Yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't ever really taught that growing up. Yeah. 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 We have all sorts of like what I, what I would call folk theology that's just kind of crept in. And this happens in a lot of, I think, different areas where it's not necessarily the biblical conception of a particular topic or whatnot, but it's just kind of the way our culture has defined certain things and we take them as common sense or givens, but we haven't actually questioned like where those come from. And I think our, our understanding at times of heaven is a bit like that. It can be, um, I'd say, like subtly distorted, but yet it has some pretty deep implications. And what I was talking a little bit about is, you know, most of us, when we think kind of just colloquially about heaven, like what the world has just kind of told us about heaven. Streets of gold. Yeah, we just think of it in these images that Michelangelo is the, the, the one I always pick on, like we're floating on the clouds, we're playing harps and that sort of thing. And so for me as a kid, I just assumed heaven was quite literally above the clouds. Like it was just, yeah, that's where it was, right? It makes sense. But what we understand kind of biblically is that's not really at all what, quote, heaven is about. Like heaven is like God's space is like the best way to say it. It's to be in the presence of God is to be kind of in heaven. It's, it's where, where that domain is. And so what you really see from the beginning pages of scripture is you see, you know, in Genesis 1, when Adam and Eve are walking in the cool of the garden and God is dwelling with them, and you see that image of heaven and earth overlapped entirely, that, that there's a, a union between heaven and earth. And then when sin enters the picture, God is walking around in the cool of the day, and then he looks for Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from God. They've been separated. And because the result of their sin was that they were cast uh, what Steinbeck picks up on in his book, East of Eden, they, they, the Bible uses that phrase, we're east of Eden. Um, we're literally just 
away from that ideal situation in one and two that sin separates us from god have you read that book by the way uh oh man years ago it's it's Lindsay's favorite book actually i of love all time. that book yeah Lindsay's all-time favorite i went on a steinbeck kick like a couple of years ago do you yeah it, i i just absolutely love it changed the way i view monterey also yeah yeah, yeah we continue. actually you remember how we were talking about our prized possessions last week i was saying how nerdy we yeah, are the velveteen rabbit yeah, yeah for the first editions we have a, a east of eden first edition whoa so, which is awesome. so anyway nerd alert but really i want cool. Can you can you have Lindsay send me a picture of that? I want to see that. Yeah, I, I can't. I'm actually interested in that. I, I will. Can you I will. believe it? I'll say that. But anyway, I interrupted you really. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, John Steinbeck. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So so the, the whole story of Scripture is about this separation of heaven and earth. And it's about then bringing that back. So then when you get to Revelation 21, what you see is, is at the very end of the story, this is Revelation 21, um, Starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and then pay attention to the direction of this, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, that's almost ripped directly from Genesis. Hmm. Um, that's that garden language. And so the picture at the end of the story, Revelation 21, is heaven coming back down onto earth. It's restoring the, that communion, that union of earth and heaven together. This is why right in the middle of Jesus, you know, the Lord's prayer, as we call it, is may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just a, I hope this earth is a little bit better in the time being. It's quite literally, Lord, bring heaven back to earth because that's what we want to see happen again. Mm. And so when we think of heaven as some sort of disembodied soul with wings floating around without a body type of thing... That's that, that's actually not the biblical conception of resurrection. Resurrection is about the the restoring of that new creation, but it's given that eternal life kind of pulse again. Um, so Jesus has a body, like we we forget that. And the resurrected Jesus, like Thomas, touched his hands, like he touched the wounds. He ate fish. He walked around with people, like he had a body. And so when Paul then in Corinthians, I brought this out a little bit, says that Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. Again, that image is that he's what's true of Jesus in the resurrection will be true of all of us. We will, in fact, be resurrected with a body to a renewed material world. Um, and, and so that, that idea then means, um, you know, like, like this is the way uh, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, says it. He says there's life, which is what we experience now. And then there's life after death. So we will all die. And then we will be, that's what we would kind of commonly think of as heaven. Uh, right. That's, and that's, that's all we really, most of us really think yeah. of. Yeah. We usually we stop die, the story there. We go to heaven or. And then we live there in some sort of spirit realm forever. Yeah. Um, and that's where Paul does say in Second Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we are dead, we are in fact in the presence of God. But that's not the end of the story, right? So there's life. There's life after death. But as N.T. Wright says it, there's life after death life after death. And what he's getting at is that the real hope and what we see in the story of scripture is this idea of new creation. And so heaven then in some way is like the way we think of it is the holding place for where the whole story is going, which is new creation. And then at the end of time, when all humanity is resurrected before God, 
we will then either enter new creation or we won't. Um, God will grant us to dwell in his presence, as we just read in Revelation 21, um, or we won't. And that's, that's where the story's going, is new creation, a physical new creation. Um, it's different, right? Jesus' resurrected body is, in fact, different. And there was something about it that Mary didn't even recognize. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there is, but, yet, but then there was a moment when she did, and that's what's yeah. so interesting about it. Um, like the road to Emmaus is another great one, where Jesus is walking for hours with some of his disciples. They don't recognize him. But then all of a sudden, they come awake to the reality of, of that being the resurrected Jesus. And so there is a sense in which we will have a physicality to us. I mean, that's, and that's really the biblical understanding of the human, right? We're both made from the dust, but then in that Genesis account, it says that God breathes the spirit of life into us, that we are a hybrid of dirt and spirit, of material and spiritual. And that then is the human. And that in the resurrection, we will have that again. Um, we'll have the material and the spiritual, but it's different, but yet same. There's continuity and there's discontinuity um, between what we know about this world and what will come. So is this where, uh, this is kind of a weird question, but is this life, life after death, and then life, life after life after death, is that idea what, is that kind of like what Catholics are trying to get at with purgatory, or is that a completely different thing? Yeah, it's kind of completely different. <laughs> but you said it's like a holding, like a yeah, holding space. Yeah. Like, isn't purgatory? You're like stuck in the, in the middle. Oh, Kevin just hit his knee. He's trying leg cramp. He's, oh, leg cramp. Oh. Does that mean we're not supposed to talk about purgatory? God's like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, purgatory is a little different, and, and the purgatory again. I, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit rusty on my Catholic theology. But purgatory would be the, it, it is the holding place in which you are purging your sins, right? You're dealing with those um, and, and getting those out of you before entering um, into, again, like that idea of heaven. Um, but yeah, we just, we just have a different theology than that. We just wouldn't, you know, we believe that was, that's been dealt with on the cross. Okay, um, so a question two. These are the questions that I think about when you're talking really deep. Do you feel like our new bodies are going to be like super ripped? just yoked (laughs) (laughs) and they gotta be good right yeah (laughs) that's always a question that comes up like what at what age will you be resurrected in right like is it the last age before you died is it like in your prime in your sweet spot you know like whatever it is what age would you like to be resurrected into i think i think i'm with most people that i'd love my mind to be like an octogenarian but i would love my body to be in the 20s in the 20s (laughs) yeah you know. It's the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. Because I assume our bodies will still store fat and stuff, right? I don't I know. Would, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we'll eat. Jesus ate fish, right? Like, we'll have food. We'll enjoy meals in the new creation. That is such so a like, weird thing to think about. Yeah. So you went into this whole thing in Romans and where Paul talks about um, this this groaning. I love the, the analogy that he uses. Um, with childbirth, I think yeah. it's so helpful to think of like the pain that we're experiencing right now is is labor pains. Yeah, it's it's waiting. It's while we're in anticipation of this new life, this life after life after death. Um, and uh, you were talking to me before about a good analogy. Um, sometimes <laughs> yeah. we look at the world and we we grieve different. Like we 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 suffer different. Because we know this hope of what's gonna, yeah, what the world is gonna be like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Our groaning, to use Paul's words, right, isn't about the past; it's about the present, not aligning with what we know to be true of the future. 
And so we groan in that anticipation. Yeah, the, the image I was getting is uh, Lindsay and I, we, we got a puppy a couple weeks ago now, three, two, gosh, maybe three weeks ago now. Uh, a little mini golden doodle named Winston. We should show a picture of the we puppy. In the, do you have a picture that you can give? Sandy? I've got, I've got a good picture. I'll show for the show notes. He's the most. I'm not. I'm. I've never been a dog person. Like here, <laughs> here's what we we were when we were researching breeds, and Lindsay did most of this. Uh, we found a review of a mini golden doodle that said that this person got this dog. I think it was for their boyfriend. And he said, "My boyfriend's dog is kind of boring. He's almost like a piece of furniture that loves you." And I looked at Lindsay when I heard that and said, that's exactly what I want in a pet. <laughs> I want a piece of furniture that loves me. Okay, how do you find a... Re- where do you go for reviews on a dog? Is there a website? I don't know. Where she, it's probably Reddit or something like that. I don't know where she found so are it. Are they reviewing the breed or are they reviewing... The breed. Yeah, but it was like dog? her particular dog. It's not like we weren't going to buy that particular dog. It was yeah. like, my golden doodle is this way. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you said... I'll, so anyway. I'll, yeah, I could go for a fuzzy piece of furniture that a loves fuzzy. me. A piece of her, and I'll be honest, little Winston, he's kind of like that. He's pretty really? calm. He's awesome. He's awesome. Because I've heard horror stories about people with new puppies. Like yeah. it's worse than a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they just keep you up all night. And yeah, yeah. This is not. This is not little Winston. So shout wow. out, little Winston. Knock on wood. Let's let's hope he holds this way. But he's so awesome. anyway. You got a puppy. So <laughs> back on track. <laughs> Uh, so, so what it is, is is this, is like, I, I have always loved the idea of a dog, but because of all those things you just mentioned, now puppies are just a ton of work and they often just chew things and, you know, make messes in the house, all that kind of stuff. Well, so little Winston, I have this idea of what Winston will be 20 years from now, or probably not 20 years from now, 10 years from now. And he's going to be a fantastic dog. I love the idea of a dog. But there's also the reality that right now we're potty training this thing. And so he's still, although better than any other dog we've ever had, um, he's still having accidents in the house. He's still going to the bathroom in our living room. And, and so every time then that I groan from that as I'm cleaning up the mess <laughs> he makes in the living room, it's out of the hope, not of what happened, but rather I groan because I know one day he's going to be an awesome puppy. He's going to be an awesome dog where he's fully matured and established and he just sits, he's the fuzzy piece of, piece of furniture that I long for, right? And like one day that will happen. And so my frustration in the moment isn't just based off this despair of what was, but it's, it's out of the hope of what will one day become uh, when Winston is fully potty trained, <laughs> when this creation is fully made right, right? Like that's, that's our groaning. And so we approach suffering and whatnot from that perspective of saying it, it, we are frustrated as believers because it doesn't align with what we know to be true about the future. And that's the source of our groaning and suffering. Whereas for, for a non-believer, their source of, of groaning and frustration is, is a little more, um, I mean, it's a little bit more built just on despair, right? Like they don't necessarily, it, it isn't a groaning out of the hope to come. It's still suffering and painful and it hurts, but it's a different posture. Mm. Um, and even our suffering and, and in those moments of pain and hurt doesn't make it necessarily easier in that moment. Uh, but it's we can look towards the future. It's a different foundation for our frustration and a foundation for our groaning. Yeah, and in, in, doesn't it say in Thessalonians that that we don't grieve as those who, who have no hope yeah, or something like yeah. that? Yeah, I can't remember if that's Thessalonians or not, but yeah, that, that idea of like we grieve differently. We experience that brokenness differently uh, because of that hope that we have. And so it's it's much, much different. So this should have an impact 
on our lives as yeah. believers. Like if, if we're looking at, if I would have told you, you know, like 12 year old Brandon's response to Jesus resurrecting, um, I would have said my response is to pray, pray the magic prayer. Yeah. And then when I die, I go to heaven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's more than that, right? Yeah. Oh, and then, because yeah. then there's like that, like, you know, because I, I did that too. And it's like, okay, what do I do now for the next 70 years of my life or however long <laughs> yeah. after I said the prayer? And that's exactly it, right? The resurrection reshapes everything. Um, because what, what Jesus does in the work of discipleship, in his life, teaching, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, like that whole Christ event, that whole experience of, of Jesus on earth is formative to how we then live in the reality of resurrection, that the resurrection, when it inaugurates the age to come, that means we have to then order our lives around that reality. Um, Like one of the best examples I got uh, of this is from Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, where he's trying to unpack this idea of what it meant when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. Um, and he uses the example of he, you know, he's since passed, but he lived uh, in kind of rural Midwest before electricity was in his town. And so he talks about the uh, the day in which the electric company shows up and says, essentially, repent, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of electricity is here. And he says, now that electricity was available, he had to, his family had to reorder their life around that reality if they were going to experience the kingdom of electricity. And so even when Jesus says that idea of repent, we think of that often as having to grieve and mourn our sin, which is a part of it. There is a sense in which we need to reckon with the devastation we've caused. But at its core, repent just means rethink. Um, it comes from the, the, you know, the, the word uh, metanoia, which is meta, where we get metamorphosis, right? Think of like a butterfly metamorphizing. I don't know what that right. word is. Okay. Yeah, but it's when they, they go through a metamorphosis, they radically change. And um, noyak is, is from the Greek word to know. And so Jesus, when he says repent, when he says metanoia, he means rethink everything you understood about the world because the kingdom of heaven is here. And so Willard's example is when the kingdom of electricity shows up, they had to repent in a way in which they got rid of candles and installed light bulbs. They got rid of an icebox and put in a refrigerator. That if they were going to experience the kingdom of electricity, they had to reorder and organize their life around that reality. In the same way, when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, we then reorient and reorganize our life around that reality um, that the age to come has been born, that resurrection is in fact true. And so that means a whole litany of things. That means we can actually work towards justice. It gives us a foundation to work towards justice, to to work towards loving and caring for the earth and stewarding creation, because this is what God is doing. He's doing that work, and we actually partner with him in that. We have a very, very minor role compared to God's role, Hmm. but we, so that gives meaning to our our vocations and how God's called us, our wiring. It gives meaning to our relationships. Um, It gives meaning to, to just about everything we do as believers because it's in light of the kingdom of heaven that's here. And so we rethink, we confess our sins, we, we admit the ways in which we are still living according to the present age and not the age to come. And that's the work of discipleship, is Jesus quite literally training us to live in the reality of the kingdom of heaven available for us here and now. 
Do you have any examples of that? Like maybe even in your own life, like, or any, any practical things that we could grab onto as a way to, what does that look like to, to reform, to, to yeah. re, reshape our lives and yeah. live into the kingdom of, of God? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the way it reorders our social relationships. Like it means that I, as a, as a believer, if the kingdom of heaven is available, which is about this restoring, renewing, reconciling of the, the created order that both, as we saw in Romans 8, is the whole creation, the whole thing, and also the very intimate, personal, we ourselves are being recreated in light of this. Um, that changes then the way I approach, particularly in, think of Jesus teaching on our enemies. Mm. That means I, re- I really can't have enemies because God is in the business of restoring and reconciling. Mm. And so I, that reshapes the way I interact with everyone. <laughs> I mean, quite literally everyone. So now when, in, when you want to write somebody off, which yeah. most of us have been at that point where yeah. we say, okay, we're writing this person off, like, you know, pending, you know, some kind of danger or abuse or anything yeah, like that. Like you, it, it makes you take a second look yeah. or a third look. Yeah. We can't give up on people, right? And again, there is certainly is barring like those sorts of abuse and situations like that may look, it may look different. It may not be that you're in their life, right? Like there's, there's the, a distinction there, but we can't write off the resurrection in someone's life. And so I can't look at, you know, my neighbor or whoever that I like you know, may or may not despise and say, like, ah, you know, they're just done for. I, I can't, I don't, they're not even worth, they would never change. Like we don't have that right. Because God has done that work in us. Instead of writing us off, God, in, in, in fact, initiated this process of reconciliation renewal that enlightens us to a new life. And, and who's to say God can't do that in another? Mm. And that reshapes everything. I mean, it, it may be another more tangible example. I think it, it reshapes the way that we understand our relationship to creation. Right? Like if, in fact, God is renewing this earth, and bringing about the kingdom of God, if heaven is crashing back into earth, restoring this material place, that means I steward my, I try the, my, the best I can to steward my resources, uh, you know, appropriately. Like God's doing something on this earth. And so I need to think through some of the implications of the way I live and the way they impact the world around me and the, crea- the creation itself, um, because it gives meaning to that. It means God is restoring this. This is, in fact, you know, our eternal home. It'll look different. It'll be remade. It'll be renewed and all of that. Um, but that that's the work God is doing is restoring his good creation. And otherwise you become the puppy, you know, cause like when, <laughs> when God starts restoring everything, he's like, wait, wait, who made this? <laughs> who made this? Kevin, what did you do here? What have you done? Yeah. So as, as you come along with us on this journey, you listeners with CPC, you're going to hear more and more about this in the coming weeks and months, but this is something that we're going to do together as a community. This this orienting our lives around the kingdom of God. Um, it's something that it it it's it's going to take some adjustment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if we're if we're changing the way that we think and the way that we live, we're changing the way that we relate to people. Yeah. That we relate to the world. It's going to take practice. Yeah. And so that's all we're going to say about it right now, but know this, we are going to start practicing this together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as we move forward together, this isn't something that we're asking you to do on your own. This is something that we're all 
going to try to do together because that's what the community of God is about. So we hope you'll join us on that journey. And uh, if you came to Easter, we're so happy you came. If you didn't come, um, you're going to get a letter from me. That's very, um, it's a disapproving letter. It's not necessarily. Did we just talk about not writing people off? And you're literally <laughs> writing to them and writing them off. I don't even care what excuse they had. Visiting my grandma in Alaska. I don't care. Oh, that's FedEx. I gotta go. Thanks, guys. Uh, we love you. Bye. Bye.